0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth
1: Mike? Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
0: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we have the pleasure of reuniting two intensely creative individuals who first worked together decades ago, Emily Haynes and Olivier Assayas. Haynes is, of course, the singer and primary songwriter for the band Metric, which she's been fronting for the past 20-plus years, and which sprang from the same fertile Canadian scene that gave the world Broken Social Scene and Stars, among many others. In fact, it's Haynes' voice that you hear on Broken Social Scene's biggest, and I would argue best, song, anthems for a 17-year-old girl. But her primary focus over the years has, of course, been Metric, which just released their ninth album of thought-provoking indie rock anthems, Formentera 2. It's a sequel to the excellent album they released exactly a year prior, and another collection of danceable, fantastic songs. Check out a little bit of Just the Once from Formantera 2, which Haynes describes as, quote, regret disco. what does a catchy Canadian indie band have to do with a fearless French filmmaker like Olivier Assayas? A lot, as it turns out. Back when Assayas was prepping his 2004 film Clean, he needed a band to perform in a scene, and when he saw Metric, everything clicked. You can see the band perform their early hit Dead Disco in the movie, and Haynes and Assayas hit it off after working together. Like Metric, Assayas has created an incredible body of work over the years and done it, again like Metric, by following his own muse. His best-known films include Irma Vep, Clouds of Sils Maria, and 2016's Personal Shopper, for which he was proclaimed Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival. In a strange twist, he was asked to recreate Irma Vep for a TV series for HBO, which he did under the condition that he have total artistic freedom. That came out last year, and it's definitely worth checking out. These two get right into a great discussion about how they approach creating their art. Both rely on instinct rather than any desire for commercial success. They talk about the real Formentera, it's an island in Spain, versus the one that Haynes created for these albums. touch on Haynes's father, a well-known poet, and how that might have figured into her creative growth. Also, you'll learn from this chat that every piano has one great song in it. Enjoy. So, my friend Olivier...
1: Long time.
2: Oh, long, long time. And uh, uh, and, and it, fe- it feels like uh, time did not pass. I don't even want to think about how long it was since we've seen each other. I, I don't think time has passed. I just feel like in the same moment.
1: I know exactly what you mean. It's like a phrase mark, I guess, of 20 years, because
2: yeah.
1: we're playing right now all the music from when mm-hmm. we met you, from our first mm-hmm. album. So a dead mm-hmm. disco <laughs>
0: yeah. and,
1: and your film. And we're revisiting all those songs mm-hmm. for the 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly how I feel. I'm standing next to Jimmy and Josh and Jules and we're playing dead disco. And it's like, it feels like nothing has changed.
2: It feels like time hasn't changed also because I've been listening to your music and loving it and just, you know, just being really excited by all the new directions you've been going. It felt like it was the beginning of Metric and I loved what you were doing, but I'm just, you know, once in a while, I mean, I was just amazed by, you know, how far you went and how you, you know, how you invented new directions and so on and so forth and re- Invented the band in so many ways, exciting ways. I've just been a fan for the last for, for the for the last few years.
1: Yeah, well, likewise, I've been stalking all your movies as they come out. So um, I loved Personal Shopper, obviously. Mm-hmm. And The Clouds mm-hmm. also so so good. And I felt mm-hmm. like when I saw that Irma Vep got picked up as a TV show and HBO, mm-hmm. I was like, yes, it's <laughs> it continue. It continues, you know. I don't know how you feel about those. All those, um, when movies are revisited, I always wonder for filmmakers what that feels like with Irma Vep.
2: Yeah, it was a very weird uh, uh, story because it's, a, because it's a movie that I did, you know, in 96. I don't Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long, <laughs> long time ago, a very long time ago. But I did it for no money. I, I wrote it in a week, and all of a, all of a sudden, it became a, an HBO series. That and 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 we had like forty million dollars to do it, and you know, just and and for some reason, we managed to have the same freedom we had when we made the first version. I would not have revisited Emma if I did not have the main ingredient which was total artistic freedom and that's what uh, A24 and HBO gave me. So I kind of made this crazy, this crazy series, which, which, you know, I mean, I, I'm always confused between, you know, movies and series. I mean, to me, there's no difference, really. I mean, I put as much of myself in the project when I'm doing Game or when I'm doing any of my other movies. I very much functioned the same way. And what I am amazed with is how you have evolved as a unit how you've stayed together, you have come function in a similar way for so long. And at the same time, I feel the you have the same passion, the same energy. You know, I've been listening to the new new album. And I just I was really impressed with, with, with the last album with Formantera One and Doom Scroller is just a, such a daring and exciting and successful idea. But you know the one thing I I, I because I, I didn't make sense of is. Were you actually in Formentera or is is it uh, some kind of fantasy island in your world?
1: Yeah, it's I have been there, but the concept was and I, I in fact I was very surprised more people didn't see the reference, but to me a very famous and important film, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Uh-huh. Right? You know that film? Yeah. So
2: yeah, yes, of course I do. Sure I do. Yeah,
1: it's a fantasy place that is an actually it's obviously brazil is a literal place but in the context of the film brazil is just this imaginary mental state that is developed to cope with the insanity of the world and his mm. fantasy place so in our case you know during the pandemic that was definitely the closest we were getting to any sort of island was one that we would create in our minds
2: it's so interesting because because it's um, i used to go there i mean i was i was a i would i remember who wrote that song i mean there was that that that, that song formenter lady which would be some kind of prog rock band like king crimson or something
1: oh yeah i remember looking that up to make sure that no one else had had that album title and Pink Floyd as well recorded and played sh- like shows in a club there.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that was in um, in Ibiza, which is next mm-hmm. to next to Carabao. Well, no, I think I think it's a, it's, it's a King Crimson song. <laughs>
1: yeah, Formentera Lady. Yeah, I lived in Ibiza for a while, too. So I, I've had a familiarity with it, mm-hmm. but it was it was more, you know, now I think what we created, I'm sort of like going there in my mind more than probably the physical island.
2: <laughs> I had a girlfriend whose mother had a house in, uh, in Formentera. So I, I used to go there like every year. Loved it. And I always had a passion for the island. And one specific year, I went there on my own. And it's the only experience I, I've had of spending, I don't know, like three weeks, a month, all on my own, absolutely on my own, in this beach cabin in Formentera. And it's uh, its uh, right after I had shot um, Vep. I remember spending a month there, which which has been like the most peaceful month in my life.
1: How that's such a strange correspondence for you and I to have it connect.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> because when we were finishing Formentera two, mm-hmm. that took us back to the neighborhood that we discovered when you brought us to Paris. Mm-hmm. So we had this a similar sort of in reverse connection of that feeling of like, being back in Montmartre and, you know, remembering ourselves at that time, you know, it was really the very beginning. We'd only been in New York and LA
0: and Toronto
1: Hmm. at that point and our first album. And when you, because of our involvement with your film, we just got to enter Paris in this completely unique way that somehow mm. still seems to last. We have such a connection every time we play there, but particularly this time after everything that's happened, you know, being back in Malmatra and being at Motorbase, we were remembering all this stuff like um, Agnes B, yeah. obviously an incredible yeah. designer. And she's so involved in cinema in so many ways with her production companies and everything. But, you know, she, we had no clothes. Totally. Like we had, we had, yeah. I had one mm. stage you know, a stage outfit that I would wash in the sink, and then I would just wear it again. <laughs> we were at right in the deepest grind and beginning, and so committed to our freedom and to our. We didn't care how poor we had to be, you know, very stubborn about the art and all those good things mm. that I think are why we're still here today. but Ag- Agnes B offered us some clothing. I remember Mm. we went to a, to a little party at her shop and we were offered to go to the beautiful showroom and get some clothes. And now, you know, now I understand how it normally works is that's very nice. You go in and you take maybe an eyeglasses case or one shirt or something, you know, but we were Mm. like, Oh my God, this is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we all got so many clothes. Like we were the people at the, you know, checking us out, you know, just, They were like, what is this? These people have no idea, but it it was our wardrobe for, I still have a skirt from (laughs) Agnes B that I wear all the time, which I I now, I look back with such um, affection, you Mm -hmm. know, for for how we were, because, you know, as you're saying about Irma Vep, like the Mm -hmm. only way it works is if you were able to have that same freedom and autonomy. Oh, yes. I feel like the way that we established that at the beginning, which made things harder at the beginning is why we have this longevity and we have this meaning to the work because otherwise it's all eroded. Yeah,
2: I remembered that at the time, one guy in the band told me, well, you know, maybe, you know, in, maybe in 20 years we will be saying when you when we were shooting clean, it was really the beginning of metric. And maybe it was also the beginning of you, of, of something else for you. And it, and it really struck me because in the back of my mind, I said, well, you know, rock and roll, a few years and, and you know and men's change and also my work will change who know where I will be in 20 years time but it was it I was impressed by how clear it was I think in your collective mind that you were at the threshold of of, of an adventure that you were there for a long time and, and you and you were like conscious that you had something very solid functioning between the four of you and 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 it was going to last once in a while i remembered it and uh, so when we arranged this this uh, this uh, meeting i you know it just came back again to me and said well he was right i mean he he was right metric was going to be around for a while and we were going to stay friends it was amazing how you Brought to the film exactly the energy that I kind of needed at that point for that film. You know, it's 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 a, it was very much a chance meeting because you know we were in Toronto we were we, we had no idea with what band we were looking for. We were looking for some generic rock and roll band who would, sure. who, who would look cool on stage, and and then. We listened to your first album. It just, it just amazed me. I said, I, "I can't believe it." I mean, this is exactly what we're looking for. And then when we met, I realized, you know, you could, you were exactly right for the little part you had to play. You had to play. I, 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 actually, I think you should not have dropped your career as an actress. You should revive it <laughs> once in a while. Well, it was, it was,
1: any time, <laughs> you want to revive my career as an actress, please go ahead. <laughs>
2: We, we no oh. I, I mean, I, I, okay. I'm taking this very seriously. I'm
1: okay, put <laughs> it in mind. But we're doing these small concerts for the anniversary, right? So we're doing um, mm-hmm. New York, LA, Toronto, London, Paris, Berlin, and uh, mm-hmm. so we were preparing for this. And we watched the uh, La Route de Rock festival that we played around the mm-hmm. time when you know we were in. Paris, thanks to you. And that was when also we connected, which I also think is from our relationship. Um, We connected with Sonic Youth at that time, because of Mm. course you had had them work on Demon Lover and they were um, so important to us, you know, being a band from New York and us living Mm. in New York. And I'll always remember... Kim Gordon at that festival again. You know, it's these times, as we're saying, so early in your career that now you can see so clearly. These were just pivotal moments, foundational moments.
2: I love the little movie we made. I mean, you know, we 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 filmed the whole thing, so there, there is a documentary that kind of uh, m- memorizes the whole event
1: of Ruth Rock. The well, are we the, the concert uh, footage is on YouTube, and it's. It was really stunning for me to to watch because i i don't I don't look at anything right. Like I like to go forward, so I don't watch mm-hmm. old stuff. But for this to prepare for these shows, yeah. the guys were like, "Really, you should check it out because it's filmed really well and it sounds really good." Um, but it was just yeah, astonishing to see. Like we're so we're so ourselves. Mm. Like we're so committed. Um, and serious, and but we're like, but it's funny. But we're so, we're just like it was really. Um, you know, sometimes you look back and you cringe a little bit or something. In this case, it was just I was so like proud of my little sister as myself. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but it's cool to
2: have. I just thought that you had at that that, that that point such as it was you were just so focused. I mean, it was very it, it was very impressive. I mean, you had this spirit of rock and roll, which, which at that time felt eventually with other band felt dated, but with you felt right, exactly happening at the right moment when it was needed, just to remind that this is the best version of rock and roll. I thought that you just, Reinvented something that needs to be reinvented once in a while, and ultimately, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I as my, I, I love the last album, I love the I, I love uh, the first album, and I think that usually bands lose something in the in, in the process. Some some of the urgency is, is lost, and what I find remarkable is that you have never lost. Uh, that uh, uh, sense of necessity, of urgency, of urgency, of necessity—you're you're tra- you're constantly transforming it.
1: I think a lot of times with that genre of, like, you know, big quotes, rock and roll, is you know, a leather jacket and a guitar. These are mm. signifiers mm. only of rebellion, if there is some rebellion. <laughs> but mm. the, to the same too you know, sort of symbols can mean be dated and conformist. So we would for it ends up being in our case, the more rebellious thing is to go pop or to mm-hmm. change the yeah. idea of, of what should be what should be okay. When I would look back at the beginning, I think, okay, why did you have to be so intense? You know, couldn't you just relax? And it and the answer is no. You can't like now I can relax a little. <laughs> but at the beginning, you know, no, no so, you uh, you can't. And like, and, you know, I think of it with your films as well as like how that I, and I have always wondered that idea of, as we're talking about, you know, the keeping the essence mm. and the urgency, but not be not repeating yourself, not being redundant. Yeah. It's such it's a, absolutely. it's such a special Place where you're, it's almost as though the process through your life is to slowly glean and reveal that essence.
2: Yeah. And I think there's something that can be said about any art it can be painting it can be poetry it can be music it can be it, it, it can be it can be movies i've all I've, I've always felt close to what you were doing and i've always related to what you were doing because in a certain sense there is a melodic uh, straightforward um energy which i interpret as some sort of realism, which which is similar to the kind of realism I've been looking for in my movies. I mean, I've always done movies that were contemporary movies that that had their fair share of abstraction, but at the same time, I always had faith in the very straightforward energy of just connecting with your audios on a very simple basis and I think that's that's what you have been doing in your music because 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 there is something melodic that a lot of rock bands kind of forget about because it's not cool if they are more abstract if they, they feel m- m- cool but ultimately that doesn't concern you that concerns me you you know, you know it's it's a thin line between self uh, staying true to yourself and at the same time uh, you know just not losing your grasp on the present which is ultimately the main question you have to answer when ultimately you build something through time decades
0: Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process. And often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of the TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. They also make it easy to upload lyrics and metadata, and to track your earnings, and share them with your bandmates and co-writers. You can even snap on extras like Instant Share, which allows for easy collaboration. The DistroKid app makes it all a seamless experience that will save you a ton of time, that would be better spent making music. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Head over to the App Store to download it. All bands and artists have jobs, right? Jobs they do like, others they don't. Times they're fucked up and they've had to face the boss with rosy cheeks and the tails between their legs. 101 Part-Time Jobs is the podcast where we hear those stories. I've had some killer guests on like The Chisel, Chastity Belt, Real Estate, Kurt Vile, Mannequin Pussy, and so many more. If you subscribe to 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast, you'll be getting two episodes weekly. That's a promise. See you soon.
1: This is my feeling is, you know, the question of why you make art and the... It's, you know, to participate and to find out about yourself as much as you can, but also to be part of what happens in your own life and in the world. And if you're too insistent on maintaining some, you know, conceptual idea of authenticity, you've eliminated mm. most of most experience. Like for us, there's no, there's no agenda, right? Like we're not as we like to say, like, we have no idea what we're doing. We just, (laughs) you just go (laughs) in and, and it's pretty much like when something feels like bullshit or it's just not true, it's just not connecting or it's not with us, you know, and it's without any thought of commercial viability, it's just more, you feel it or you don't internally with us. I'd be curious to know if you've ever scrapped something uh, after a big, Time commitment, but we did like a sixty-piece orchestra on a song and a whole big elaborate thing, and then you know, th- you know, whatever, hundred thousand dollars, whatever you do, and then we're just like, no, if it doesn't give me that feeling, we won't, we won't release it. Have you ever, have you ever thrown away something after a big commitment?
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 I, yes, I <laughs> but, 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 uh, but uh, unwillingly, <laughs> Un- uh, unwillingly. Ah, yes.
1: okay. interesting. The, the,
2: it's it's uh, the the I mean they're in, including a movie that I was supposed to that, that I was supposed to shoot in Toronto, uh, which fell apart like one day before shooting. But that's that's oh, really no. not, it was mm. it it well, no, it was just like a catastrophe. And it was a movie with Robert Pattinson and Robert De Niro, and we were shooting in Toronto and in Chicago, and it and and the film just fell apart because the financier was weird, but. Ultimately things that you know movies that don't should not happen don't happen and there's always a exactly. reason
1: Exactly. Exactly. But around I'm around. but I you know I love how that's the rule for us and yeah. how we how we yes. work is just like we just if we don't if we don't feel it we don't care if what the loss is but then it ends up being quite cohesive actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, even despite our very strange process.
2: <laughs> I think it's the only way to function, you know, the, way, the only way to function is with your instinct. I think it's all about doing what you need to do, what you want to do at a specific moment and being in touch with yourself at that time. I often say that ultimately when I, I start writing screenplays, when I have my back to the wall, I mean, like, you know, I have no other idea. I have, I have like one idea which kind of feels right and I start writing it because ultimately I have nothing I have nothing else it's <laughs> <Yeah. only> a, <laughs>
1: necessity is the mother of invention I love that yes,
2: yes. <laughs> and, and, and 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 I think and I think that's what exactly what you what you are describing gradually you understand why you are doing this and not doing that mm-hmm. and uh, and and there's no rule and there's no security you move forward in the most honest and dedicated way, but you 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 are not dependent on a big theory or the logic of the industry or whatever. I, I think it's the only way. It's the only way because, the, because it's the only way you can make something that's genuine, that is yourself, and ultimately that will propel you. Mm. into other other areas but the the difficulty is not repeating yourself I mean the the, the difficulty I mean and for me it's always been like that I just hate the notion of doing again something that I've already done I've never felt like I'm on a path where I'm going to move from A to B to C I mean I I know that I will maybe I will start with Z and then move on (laughs) to to (laughs) T <laughs> totally. And then at some point, at some point, get to A. But who knows? Maybe, yeah. not, maybe never.
1: Yeah. And the and the the idea of identity through that is is revealed in yeah in a, in a very abstract way because you will find out at the end of your life who you were. You know, I mean that's that's what I'm not to be so you know. Existential, but I but I do feel like this is what we're in as a, as a band. We're like, who are we?
2: But what's great with being in a band is that also you function within a collective, and then that's mm. something I've been always been very jealous of because when you are a writer. You, you sit in your at your in front of your desk and you're on your own and you don't and you and, and you have nothing i mean you know you you we, we, and 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 or when you're directing the directing is a very lonely job in, in in many ways and i've been trying to work with the same crew often the same cameraman often the say the same art um, director often the same costume designer and i feel like we in our way we are a band you know, in, yeah. a, in, a way, in a in a way they bring me the kind of collective energy that comes naturally to rock and roll, but which is alien to cinema in many ways.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I relate to the, to the writing part isolation because I'm the writer of the songs, you know, like Jimmy and Mm -hmm. I will have some process, but for the most part, it's me at the piano. And I know that feeling is just so um, isolating, Mm -hmm. but essential, Mm -hmm. but I'll, feel, you know, I'll be at my place in the woods and it's like everything falls apart around me. You know, if I'm not writing, I'm this very functional person with my nice home and I'm cooking and taking care of the dog. But when I'm writing, it's like, it's like a heroin den there's without the heroin, obviously. Um, But it's like, I won't, you know, the, it'll be dark. The fire's not on. There's no lights on. My dog will be like, feed me, you know, like it's such a, (laughs) it's such a place that I go to. And it's the, I've been like that since I was a little kid. Like I still remember being, you know, five or whatever. And the feeling I had when I sat at that piano was like, this is a portal, you know. I felt like I was sort of in a meditative trance, yeah. and as though all the songs and all the truth that I might be able to reveal about anything was sort of already embedded in the piano. And mm. I still have that feeling. In fact, with um, that, every every piano has one song already in it. So when I travel, I I find houses with a piano and I like to do solo travels and I'll go. And every time it's like, okay, like in, I was recently in Rome. I found this great place. It's like, okay, be prepared for the, because the first time you touch this piano, there will, you will get one song. Um, so I've been on a, on a, these travels this year doing that in various uh, places
2: but you are describing so well your process in terms of writing and creation and but that th- does it uh, has it because you are the daughter of a poet part of you that is as or and has always been I mean th- th- does it mean something to you
1: yeah he was such an unusual writer as well and in fact yeah. my Further connection to Paris is because of him. He went there in the 50s Mm -hmm. and met Michel Contat. Oh,
2: yes, I remember him.
1: Do you? Uh, And he's so he's my godfather. So when I'm in, particularly when I'm in Paris, I feel that connection to Paul and my dad and, and Michel and picturing them discovering this, the more experimental jazz of that time where people. You know oh, yeah. what when, when we hear it now, sometimes it seems like too much or something. But grasping that people were inventing this way of communicating is how I see it. So for my father, though, all the, you know, he never was a musician at all. But these very, um, you know, Carla Blay obviously, uh, but very, very accomplished and unusual artists were drawn to his writing because they felt like he wrote the way that they were trying to play with this yeah. sort of freedom and yet his uh way of writing was very lean um everything stripped away and Mm -hmm. you know again with that sense of necessity like he he would always say you know these are poems but this isn't poetry
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful way to say it it's so beautiful you see, I was a teenager, but I, re- I remember the kind of energy there was in Paris at, the, at, at that time that had to do with free jazz. And, you know, you, 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 you had the Art Ensemble of Chicago, you had mm, Albert mm-hmm. Baylor, you had Sun Ra. I mean, I, I, I saw those guys live in Paris wow. when I was a teenager. Paris was the city for free jazz. It was a golden period in Paris in those years for free jazz.
1: Yeah, Michel Quintin also, he was a scholar of Jean-Paul Sartre. So it's like, you know, it makes sense to me because it's a pretty intellectual form. You know, it feels to me and maybe this is just because in a way that's what I felt like my dad was embodying was that where the language is seeking the same kind of freedom, like freedom of thought and the idea of, you know, shedding your own artifice and your own affectations yeah which in a way you know to our theme of of adaptation it's in a way the i feel like the more that i am able to you know look like this or look like that or use this instrument or use that instrument it reinforces how those things are ultimately the superficial expression of something but you're trying to always just free yourself of your own artifice because it's so it's so boring to i don't know like just just behaviors, you know, I feel like we adopt ways of speaking as we adapt to the time that we live in, or yeah, ways oh, yeah. of dressing, ways of, you know, and I notice it with myself where it's like, you know, the idea of personality to me is just, it's just such a drag. It's like, who, mm-hmm. you, you know, is ultimately you want to be more than that, you want to be something like whatever the deeper uh, sources of that. And not fixate on the, the personality, and I feel like for me, there's a parallel with, you know, that's why I think my dad said these are poems, but it's not poetry.
2: You're not posing; it's what comes naturally to you. So it's, it's 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 not a poem; it's a way of describing your perception of reality. Poem is a is, is a big word, whereas. <laughs> What you what you what you are doing is more vital and more simple than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you are confronted to the kind of freedom that artists had in those years at that at, at that time, it's some you know it's something that uh, that is so vital and it's something that uh, we are losing. I mean you know it's, 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 it's so much art is so commercialized now. I'm always shocked by how People just don't often just don't care about integrity, about uh, about uh, experimentation, about uh, about exactly what we are discussing. Meaning, just keeping a connection to your inner truth and not with what the market around you wants or expects from you. And it's a constant struggle to 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 keep a hold on that.
1: My feeling is now, I don't even think that's like a thought i think that it's so it's the the walls have been completely washed away and i think Mm. in music i think people just enter it without even imagining that there would would be something to keep to of your own the idea of selling out or not only can you not find someone who's also concerned about selling out they don't even know what you're talking about
2: yes exactly
1: no all (laughs) i'm trying to do is get paid and that's, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> and so it's, it is, uh, I feel quite lucky actually to have lived in the, in the time that I have and am like, you know, to live through these changes and be able to witness them. Yeah, and yeah. I don't have a chip on my shoulder about any of this stuff. It's all, it's, I'm, it's fine, but uh, it's pretty fascinating to, to see like how that's changed and, you know, our stubbornness about record labels, it wasn't just this like stance, you know, it's, it's more, first of all, into like basic intelligence of looking at this contract and how it's just a bad model. Um, Mm -hmm. and the major label deals we were offered, it's just, it's just a bad model. But furthermore, the point of what we're doing, it's like, you've, you're basically selling the the reason for our existence away
2: exactly, so
1: the fact that we didn't ever do it and it made i think it it definitely affected how well known we are you know i've i've we have such a an incredibly loyal and you know amazingly growing uh fans around the world you know we see lots of young people they find us right but uh, I think we we definitely were hurt by the fact that we never got that major marketing engine behind us.
2: That's also salvation I-
1: exactly because now mm. we're in this position where we own everything, and this is the difference bet- that you know with the way that the music industry has changed now and the fact that every you know record label is just gonna make you self promote anyway yeah. you know. So that's because that's all that all anybody can do is, is promote in the same way. So it's, yeah, it's, but it's cool to look back on.
2: <laughs> so just clarify why the new album is For and Terror 2, instead of being uh, whatever else.
1: It's, it's because we wrote this whole song cycle of 18. Uh-huh. It's felt like too much to release as one double album. And yeah, yeah. we didn't want to say in advance that it was two parts. So, mm-hmm. and it's definitely this cohesive line through the whole thing. Um, so you know, this oh, is a, yeah. sort of our our uh, monument at this point in our career, our eighth and ninth album. So I'm really looking forward to this album being out. I need to move on. <laughs> it's. I'm very proud of the work but it's um you know doomscroller uh <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes but I think like like all your albums it's you know it's a step forward I'm more interested by the way artists function than by I mean with the, it can be within in, in like in, in cinema I'm, I'm more interested in the body of work of a specific director rather than uh, than this movie or that movie. I, I think that ultimately, what you end up doing is building a body of work. Sometimes you have to disconnect from your from, from your rules, but there is an inner logic to what you you are doing, which is what really interests me and excites me because that's where because I've always been interested in this idea of having a dialogue between arts. I think you know I've I've been working with playwrights, novelists, musicians. And I've always been interested in what there is in common. And ultimately, what there is in common is the idea of building something, you know, of, of some that reflects your experience of being uh, a human being. For instance, visual artists would go in direction where filmmakers are scared to go or are intimate, intimidated to go. And all of a sudden... Visual artists show how it's doable, how you can go there, how you can try that. And it's the same thing with music. When I started making uh, movies, I had been so influenced by punk rock. I saw the first, uh, the, the first answered by The Clash. I mean, yeah, I saw The Clash. I mean, like the album was not, not, not even out, and they played this concert in Paris. It just blew my mind. You know, or, or, or I just remember like the, the moment and the place where I was when I heard God Save the Queen by Sex Pistols for the first time. And it left me with a question which I have not never really answered, which is, how can I in movies find the same energy that that rock and roll gives me. I mean, you know, and, and and ultimately what I love about Metric is that it it gave me that thrill. It has such a powerful energy, which is something that which is exactly the vibe that I'm looking for in my own movies. You know, I, I want to make movies that potentially can give to the audience in a different way the, 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 the kind of excitement music has given me through the years
1: and functioning as like a catalyst for something because oh, yes. it's true how you might hear a punk rock band now and feel nothing like the ones you know the clash oh, yes. right that was that was the expression of that time i know exactly what you mean because it's not as though your film can have all these obvious references to rebellion it's not about you know laying it yeah. laying it yeah, clear no, but it's that no. feeling of danger which can come in so many ways. Like um, it's on a personal note, I'm in this great relationship. I'm in love, and he's a very uh, you know a civilian, as they say, right? So mm-hmm. he's not in the arts, and he's
0: um, <laughs>
1: you know, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm the safe guy or something, and I'm I have. I'm like, you have no idea. I even talking about it, my heart pounds because it's like, you know, you have no idea how dangerous you are for me, (laughs) you know, for me. (laughs) that Right. Like a a very um, stripped down and that like intimacy and vulnerability um, without all of the trappings of show business, uh, ways that we can make we can perform our lives, you know, taking Mm -hmm. that away. that is dangerous. So I know exactly what you mean of trying to find that in the music that I listen to and in the films that I watch and being such a fan of your work now makes so much sense as we talk about this because it's in code in a way, right? Like I can listen to like an ambient track that's just, you know, it's like non-musical, very abstract sound that will give me that feeling of danger.
2: Oh yes, totally. You're putting it much better than me. I mean, in, in a sense that uh, when I was mentioning The Clash, I mean, it's, it's not just about the energy of punk rock. I mean, ultimately I don't, I mean, you know, punk rock was important to me at that, that specific moment. I mean, now it's become something else completely. It's just the fact of being confronted with something that is completely new, something that is out there in the air, and no one has really grabbed it. And I think what's great about music is that it does that faster than movies. You know, movies, movies take more time to to absorb what's going on around them. Whereas music has a much it has a much more intense relationship to the present, and uh, and in that sense to me uh, it's modern poetry in many ways i mean to, yeah. to, there's no difference between poetry and music and rock and roll in in, you know, in in many ways because because i think the same way poems capture capture modern reality i think songs are poetry and they do indeed through the beat, through the, the arrangements, the word, the the, the energy, they capture uh, the the capacity to, get, to capture something about contemporary society, which and, and which is vital.
1: I agree, but I don't feel like people write about that. I feel like that's what I write about, but I feel alone. People just write to me a lot of stupid love songs, and <laughs> I don't care about that. I feel like they're, but then there are. I'm always finding um, other writers, and I'm such a fan of always looking to be a fan. You know, you want to stay in that state of mind of finding people's work.
2: Because you want to be impressed. You want to be excited. Yeah. You want to to have a dialogue with people who will bring you something which mm-hmm. has not... Done before a million, a million times before. I mean, you know, and 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 in your art, that's what you are doing. You were mentioning like clouds of Sol, clouds of South Maria. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it's a typical example of I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I started writing it and I wrote half of it and I left it lay there for like six months because I had no idea what the next act would be. And all of a sudden, I just came up with a logic for what was coming. And now the film seems feels extremely coherent and doesn't show really uh, the, the 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 markings of its process. It seems a very elaborate f- piece of filmmaking, whereas
1: I know it's, it's amazing. It's,
2: it's, it's you know it's, it's 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 like cats. I mean you, you, you fall and you end up falling on your feet, and, yeah. and you don't know you don't you're not sure how you do it and why you got away with it.
1: Yeah, and you try not to think about it too much and hope it keeps happening.
2: Yes, yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, I think we've been told that our conversation is coming to an end, but I, I can't tell you how much it means to me to see you. No time. <laughs> it's just time has,
2: no, not, I mean, time has not passed. You are exactly the same person I knew, <laughs> and and I hope I'm a little bit of the person. You are. You continue, are. Continue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like we picked up where we left off. This is so great. That we'll, Jimmy will be so happy that we'll see you. And um,
2: yeah. thank you so
1: much, Olivier.
2: Thanks to you, Emily. So it's always a, a pleasure. And it was. Yeah, I was just so happy with the conversation. Same. Thanks
0: for listening to the TalkHouse podcast. And thanks to Emily Haynes and Olivier Asayas for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the great stuff at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan and the talkhouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.